Specialty Story, session number 226. You're a non-traditional student entering the medical field on your terms. You may have had some hiccups along the way, but now you're ready to change course and go back and serve others as a physician. This podcast is here to help answer your questions and help educate you on your non-traditional journey to becoming a physician. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and here in this podcast, we get to have conversations with physicians, specialists, talking about their specialty, what they enjoy about their specialty, what led them to their specialty, and so much more. Today, we're talking to Dr. Derek Larson, a nephrologist specializing in renal hypertension. We talk about his journey to becoming a nephrologist And how you have to be a math expert, I think, maybe, (laughs) to become a nephrologist. I hope you enjoy this episode. I did. Dr. Larson was awesome. We start the conversation by talking with Dr. Larson about how he first became interested in nephrology. That was really in residency. Um, In medical school, I knew I wanted to do something uh, based in internal medicine. Uh, To be honest, I was between nephrology and oncology. Those were the two things that sort of sparked my interest in medical school. So I kind of went in a little bit undifferentiated as a first-year resident, um, and I sort of found my niche in nephrology after an elective that I took uh, in my first year, Um, found a really charismatic mentor that sort of was my continued mentor throughout uh, internal medicine residency. And after meeting him, I, you know, after that first rotation, I said, you know, I want to be just like this guy. (laughs) Um, And I think part of it was personality, part of it was charisma, part of it was certainly intelligence, but I think he really just sort of uh, sparked my curiosity in nephrology. Um, not only the, you know, the physiology behind it, but you know, the patients behind it and the, the science behind it. Um, and after that, I took another elective my second year and that's really what sort of solidified it. Um, and it was, it was that doctor that actually told me, you know, what specialty you wanna do is the one that you go home and continue to read about. And for me, that was nephrology. Um, so I really never looked back. And from that second year of residency onwards, uh, that was kind of where I knew I wanted to be. So let's let's settle the debate right here for once and all. If you want to be a nephrologist, you have to hate cardiology. Yeah, I think it's one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, as we all know, the uh, the, the kidney is the most important organ. And uh, the second most important organ is the other kidney. So, you know, the heart's probably down there, number three or number four. There but, aren't uh, <laughs> two hearts, are there? That just tells yeah, you right that's there. <laughs> that's right. You need the redundancy for the importance. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so I, I love, like, what I found most doing this uh, podcast, talking to so many physicians, is the mentorship aspect, finding a mentor. Uh, obviously, it sounds like you were kind of interested in it already, potentially went and sought out a mentor. For someone listening to this, how do you recommend they go find a mentor to hopefully guide them to their dream career? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a really good question. And I think a lot of it just happens um, j- just randomly, you know, and maybe the subspecialty that you don't think you're interested in. And I think, you know, kind of going into things with an open mind is really important. And sometimes just finding that person accidentally, you know, I think um, a lot of it comes down to you know, even if it's not the specialty you think you're interested in, finding the people that you want to be around and you feel comfortable being around. And 
I think one of the biggest things I've learned is sometimes your mentor doesn't even have to be in the specialty that you find yourself wanting to go into. It's just the type of person that you feel like that you that you respect, that you can learn from. Um, and there's a lot of overlap in medicine. So a lot of times they can help guide you, even if it's a different specialty than, you know, where you really see yourself ending up. Yeah. What are some of the biggest myths or misconceptions that you're constantly fighting amongst uh, medical students or residents? Yeah, yeah. I think... Um, you know, I think the, the biggest myth as a nephrologist is all nephrologists hate LASIX. I mean, I think we, we love LASIX as it turns out. I think, uh, you know, kind of uh, you know, dispelling some of those myths, you know, LASIX is not a nephrotoxin. It can be used safely and effectively uh, in the right patients. But, um, you know, I, I think really with, uh, with nephrology, I, I think one of the myths um, is, you know, that we don't like to collaborate or that, uh, you know, nephrologists are always right. And I think nephrology is one of the specialties that we really thrive with collaboration. Um, I think we're very curious. We have a love for problem solving. And really having that collaboration with all of the other doctors is one of the important, most important parts of nephrology. I feel like it, you know, kind of hits so many different subspecialties that collaborating and communicating with other physicians is, you know, even more important with nephrology than other uh, specialties, I think. Um, and I think these days when, you know, time is short among practitioners, I think it's really important to take a step back and, you know, really take the time to pick up the phone because that, that collaboration among other specialties is, you know, is just so, so important. Yeah. If someone doesn't have good math skills, can they be a great nephrologist? Absolutely. And I think that's a great question. Math is my least favorite subject. You know, we, <laughs> we have, we have calculators for all of the math. I think the big thing is curiosity and problem solving, you know, mm. liking detective work, you know, I mean, I, I hate math. Um, you know, there's certainly some math in nephrology, but I think a lot of it is just knowing where to find the calculators, where to find, you know, understanding the physiology behind the math. It's really understanding, I think, the concepts because the math is the easy part. You know, the yeah. math, you can just kind of plug and play, but it's really understanding why are you doing the math? So I think yeah. that's a really important myth to dispel because math is clearly my, my least favorite, my least strong subject from high school onwards. And I still landed in nephrology. So yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. It, it's interesting how you describe that. <clears throat> in a lot of my world, I'm talking to students about their GPAs and getting into med school and all that fun stuff. I always talk about how it's, it's not the number. It's the story behind the number that matters, Absolutely. right? That that, that number doesn't tell me anything. I have to see the big picture. And it sounds like that's what you're saying. It's it's not necessarily the math that matters, but understanding why the math is what it is. Absolutely. It's the showing your work aspect. Yeah. You, know, you always say that high school teacher, I don't care if you got the number wrong. I want to know how you got to it. But <laughs> but it's really the same thing in nephrology because sometimes you get to the number, but you know, and, and you have the number, but the number doesn't make sense clinically. So then yeah. you kind of have to go back and start from the beginning and see, well, what context are you looking at this number in? And, you know, I think the it depends answer is is very important in nephrology as well. You know, I mean, sometimes, you know, uh, the fractional excretion of sodium is, is one number and that's great. But what's the clinical setting? You know, is it clinically meaningful? Is it relevant? Do you even need to calculate that number? So I think it's really understanding the reason why you're calculating it more than the absolute number itself. Yeah. What traits do you think lead to someone being a great nephrologist? Um, anyway, I think curiosity, number one, um, you know, really the, the love for problem solving. And um, as I mentioned, detective work, it's really, you know, it's, it's wanting to answer the why question, I think is the big thing, like not taking things for granted and, you know, really wanting to take the time to ask those questions, to go through the history, to kind of figure out what diagnostics may help you get to the right answer. 
Um, and then ultimately sticking with it. Um, you know, I think one of my favorite parts of nephrology is the lifelong, um, you know, continuity of care with patients. You know, I liked the internal medicine aspect where you're seeing patients lifelong and with nephrology, it's nice, although it's a specialized field, you know, you need a strong internal medicine base. I mean, you're doing nephrology, you're doing cardiology, you're doing internal medicine, you're doing rheumatology, you're doing end of life palliative care, you're dealing with patients and their families. And I think, you know, having that long-term relationship with patients is one of the most rewarding aspects of my uh, specialty. Um, and, and I think that's something that, you know, students should want to have going into it. Um, they want to be curious. They want to have lifelong relationships with patients. Um, they want to be problem solvers. Um, and they, and they want to challenge because every day is challenging, uh, but every day is different. So it keeps my curiosity. I think that's one of the, the neatest part of being a nephrologist. Yeah. For the student who knows orthopedics, knows cardiology, knows like yeah. the things that we see and, and we know things break, but they're like, what goes wrong with the kidney? Like yeah. I, I've never understood what goes wrong with the kidney. Why, why, what are you doing day in and day out as a nephrologist? Why are people coming to see you? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I get that question 10 times a day from the patients, you know, I'll say my first question is a lot of times, well, why did, you know, Dr. Smith refer you? And they say, I have no idea. You tell me, or, you know, I'm urinating just fine, or I have no back pain at all. How are my kidneys hurting? So it's, it's, it's a really good question. I think, um, you know, nephrology is, is pretty, um, you know, pretty generalized, you know, so I have inpatient, I'm in the hospital every day. I have outpatient clinic, chronic kidney disease clinic. I deal with dialysis patients and transplant patients and home hemodialysis and peritoneal dialysis. And the neat part about nephrology is that there's so much. Um, I think the bread and butter is chronic kidney disease, you know, dealing with patients with diabetes, high blood pressure that have chronic kidney issues that you're trying to optimize and prolong their kidney life. We deal with patients in the inpatient setting with acute kidney injury and acute kidney failure, you know, either from sepsis or blood pressure issues or other infections or inflammatory conditions. We deal with preventing kidney stones. Uh, we deal with um, acid-base balance and electrolyte abnormalities. We get referrals for high potassium. We get referrals for low sodium. Um, we deal with transplant patients. We follow their immunosuppression. You know, and then certainly hemodialysis. A lot of us, you know, a lot of people know us as the dialysis doctors, but, you know, instead of just, you know, there's not just in-center dialysis now. We have home hemodialysis clinics. We have peritoneal dialysis clinics um, and certainly transplantation clinics. So it's a little bit of everything. Um, I think the bread and butter is chronic kidney disease, but, you know, we see polycystic kidney disease. We see hereditary kidney diseases as well. And mm -hmm. so every day is different and you're kind of running around between the hospital and the clinic and the dialysis center. So it's not just sitting in one place and it's not just one, you know, one condition. Yeah. As a, a child growing up, my dad was a type one diabetic who had uh, kidney failure. So I, I remember long days in the dialysis uh, centers back yeah. in the old days, back right. when I was right. a kid, where he had the like <laughs> right. little four inch screen that you could watch, not, not the big flat screens we have today. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so what are some of the biggest myths or misconceptions around nephrology? Um, I, I think one of the biggest myths is that, you know, we spend the whole day in the dialysis clinic. Um, and so I, I kind of like to dispel that myth by, you know, talking about the inpatient and outpatient and different types of dialysis. And, you know, so I think although dialysis is a part of what we do as nephrologists, um, it's so much more of a wide spectrum than that. Um, I think another myth is that, 
you know, there's nothing you can do for kidney failure as well that, um, you know, that the, the cat's out of the barn, so to speak, or the cat's out of the bag rather. Mm. Um, and there's not much to do, but I think a lot of what we do is preventative medicine and trying to prevent worsening of chronic kidney disease and optimize their risk factors. So I think, you know, there are things that we can do to slow down the progress of uh, chronic kidney disease. And we're not just, you know, in a dialysis center all day. So I think those are two of the biggest myths that I think are important to uh, kind of dispel. Yeah. So you talked kind of what what the day looks like. One thing that's very interesting in the nephrology world that I don't know if there's a big correlation with any other specialty are these dialysis centers, right? Yes. Maybe infusion centers for oncology or, or maybe neurology. Um, talk about the the uniqueness of, of our healthcare system where we have these outpatient dialysis centers where, where nephrologists kind of run and manage those centers? Right. No, that's a, that's a great question as well. So, you know, although we have our own patients, we do use the dialysis providers to provide the dialysis services, right? So the nurses, the technicians, the equipment, um, there's many different dialysis providers. I think, you know, you've probably heard of a lot of the larger ones, um, you know, Davida and Fresenius and, U.S. renal care, and there's a lot of them. And as a nephrologist, we have patients at multiple different dialysis centers. Um, I, I think um, you know collaboration with these you know dialysis providers um, is an important part of our everyday um, our everyday work. Um, you know, I am the medical director um, of a couple different dialysis centers, so. Although I'm not an employee of them, I contract through them and I am in charge of, you know, overseeing the safety of the dialysis center, everything from the, you know, the, the safety of the water that they do the dialysis with to the, um, you know, safety of the teammates at the dialysis center as well. Um, you know, it's, it, you do have opportunities for joint ventures. Um, so you do kind of learn a little bit of the business of dialysis as a medical director. Um, and it, it is different um, because, you know, although I'm a private practice nephrologist, I go to two different large hospitals. So I sort of contract with large hospital systems and then also dialysis providers. So you're sort of, um, you know, communicating with a lot of different, um, you know, higher up, so to speak. Um, although I'm not employed by them, you work with them, you know, on a, on a very close, you know, day to day basis. Yeah. What was the decision algorithm for you to, to be out in the community versus an academic center? Yeah, you know, and, and with nephrology and a lot of other specialties, you have I think that's that big first step you have to decide. You know, do you want to do academics versus community? Um, I'm I'm a little bit of a hybrid. You know, our community hospitals are academic based, so I do enjoy teaching, and you know, I do have residents and uh, pharmacists that round with me and follow me in the office, and so I do love that teaching aspect. Um, but you know, I really went into medicine to to be with patients, and I thought private practice afforded me that opportunity to sort of be my own boss. I wanted to be able to spend the amount of time that I wanted to spend with patients. I wanted to make my own schedule. I wanted to make my own hours. I wanted to sort of practice how I was able to practice. And um, you know, private practice gives me that uh, opportunity, which is uh, really really great. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, I I just wanted to be with patients. I didn't want to do bench research. I didn't want to do clinical research, although. I respect people that do that and did it through in fellowship. I really wanted to really be at the bedside. And uh, and that's kind of where I fell. But um, I have the utmost respect for people that, uh, you know, are in academics and doing research and, you know, teaching full time. Uh, we, we certainly need those people. But for me, it was really at the bedside. Yeah. For those who like to, to work with their hands, what is the procedure uh, potential for nephrologists? 
Yeah. So um, uh, as a uh, as a fellow, um, kidney biopsies and uh, dialysis catheters are kind of the, the bread and butter as far as procedures. Um, there are subspecialties in nephrology that you can do after a general nephrology fellowship. Uh, there's transplant nephrology, uh, which is, again, managing patients pre and post transplant, not actually doing the surgical procedure, but managing them uh, pre and post. Uh, there is interventional nephrology as well for those that like to work with their hands. Uh, a lot of times they are doing things like fistulograms and helping to maintain and develop dialysis accesses, uh, fistulas and grafts and um, angioplasties with that. Um, and there's also fellowships in glomerular diseases as well, which isn't quite as hands-on based. But um, as a uh, community nephrologist, um, I don't do procedures currently. I do have a lot of colleagues that still do their own kidney biopsies and catheters. Um, those are now sort of outsourced to interventional radiology. Um, but you do have the opportunity to do those depending on kind of what's interested, you know, what interests you have and sort of what, um, you know, kind of what your realm of uh, uh, practice is, you know, once you finish fellowship. Yeah. You mentioned the kind of detective work. I, I like to call it the Sherlock Holmesing uh, in yeah, medicine. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. For nephrology, when patients come to you, you had mentioned the patients, like, I don't know why I'm here. Are you the one trying to figure out what's going on, right? You you maybe get an abnormal lab value and the, yeah. the primary care doc is like, I, I don't know kidneys, so go deal with it. Um, yeah. Are, yeah. are you just like starting at zero with maybe a couple lab values and going, all right, let's figure out what's going on? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I feel like you, you, you always have a few lab values. You know, that's a lot of times how the patient got to you. Um, but a lot of times what you don't have and what's the interesting part to me is the full clinical story. So you might have bits and pieces. You know, you may have other history that was taken from other doctors. But I think, you know, it really comes down to the history and physical exam. Um, you know, the, the cheapest test that you have in <laughs> that's medicine boring. is kind of in that history, right? <laughs> and uh, I think it's, you know, we're pushed and pushed and, you know, we have less and less time to do these things. But yeah. That's really, I think, what it comes down to. So, you know, I think we'll we'll have the creatinine, we'll have blood or protein in the urine, we'll have a little bit of the story, but it's that detective work, kind of getting to, you know, when did it start, putting it all together, really finding out what's the systemic process behind this disease, and and I think that's that's what I thrive on, and that's the fun part with nephrology. Yeah, and don't forget then doing some math, and then you figure out what's going on. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, what's the training path? So, internal medicine three years, and then what does fellowship look like for nephrology? Yeah, so internal medicine, three years. Um, I did a one-year chief residency uh, after internal medicine, um, and that was sort of a—it's not a, a mandated thing, but I did enjoy, you know, I do enjoy teaching and kind of, uh, you know, that aspect of things. So I did that. Um, nephrology fellowship is typically two or three years. Um, in the decades past, nephrology was sort of a mandated three-year fellowship. Um, mine was a two-year fellowship. Um, that third year was sort of a research year that a lot of programs still offer. Um, some still mandate, uh, but I feel like the clinical nephrology fellowship has really kind of transitioned to two years. Um, after that, um, you do have the opportunity to continue um, to do a subspecialty uh, fellowship. You know, um, you know, transplant nephrology is another year after that. Um, but really, after the three years of internal medicine and two years of the nephrology fellowship, uh, if you want to be a general nephrologist, you're good to go at that point. Yeah. Okay. The the chief resident year that you did, is that something to stand out for applications for more competitive programs or is it just uh, more yeah. for you? Yeah, uh, it was a little bit of both. I mean, I think certainly um, 
I think chief residency has followed me throughout my career. I feel like that's a hot topic that, you know, employers, you know, want to ask about and, you know, different, uh, you know, as I, you know, apply for different, you know, board memberships and things like this, it always kind of comes up. I think I grew a lot during that year. I think it was my first attending year, you know, where I had a, you know, award service of patients that I was sort of uh, kind of in charge of. So I think I, um, you know, I learned a lot of medicine that year, but I also learned a lot of, you know, scheduling and uh, problem solving and, um, you know, dealing with a residency program and being that liaison between the program and the program directors and just kind of learning the business of medicine. So I think it allowed me a lot of growth outside of just clinical medicine, but also I think made me a more well-rounded physician um, and also more competitive for uh, more competitive fellowships. Yeah. There are lots of specialties uh, outside of internal medicine specialties that require being on call, being in the hospital, risk of sudden death is always there. For nephrology call, is there usually any reason to come into the hospital or can it wait till the morning? Yeah, that's, that's a great question as well. I think, um, you know, there, there certainly are those emergencies where you need to uh, go into the hospital. Um, you know, I think really emergent dialysis for critically ill ICU patients are, are one of those things, you know, mm. so it, it doesn't happen often, um, but it does happen. And so we do have a call schedule kind of built in with that. Um, you know, we do have patients in the hospital on the weekends. So there is weekend coverage as well that I split between my partners. Um, but it's really those, you know, emergent dialysis is, is probably uh, one of the few um, absolute indications to go in. Um, I think there are there are some other um, uh, reasons as well. You know, I think severe hyponatremia, for instance, you know, low sodium levels. I think those are the ones that you kind of have to, you really want to be bedside to see the patient, do a clinical exam. You know, you want to avoid overcorrection and all of those type of things. So I think, you know, those are the ones that invariably come up at two in the morning. Um, few and far between, but it does require some, you know, going in for those emergencies. Yeah. It, it's interesting. We we see uh, overweight obesity in this country around the world um, skyrocketing uh, and, and the kidney development hasn't kept up with new new blood pressure levels and, and sodium levels and all this stuff. Do, right. you, do you see like looking forward like 200, 300 years, do you think we'll get to a place where like <laughs> selection will go, oh, like kidneys are just used to these new pressures. Yeah, I, I sure hope so. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a bad type of job security because you're right, you know, diabetes, hypertension, number one and two most common cause of kidney disease in this country. And it's only getting worse, but, yeah. uh, but I do, you know, the, the kidneys are also some of the more, uh, you know, one of the more sensitive organs. I feel like they're always, they're always affected by everything systemically. And, uh, I guess that's kind of the collaboration with other, with other doctors, but I do hope there is some kind of selection where they do get a little more resilient. Um, <laughs> but there's also a lot of, you know, excitement with, uh, you know, with xenotransplant and bioartificial kidneys and, you know, wearable artificial kidneys and kidney regeneration technology. And I think these are the things just with supply and demand of kidney transplants, you know, obviously the demand well outweighs the supply. And um, I really hope that, you know, some type of bioartificial kidney and sort of the technology from that aspect starts to sort of, you know, kind of take over here in, you know, the next decades to several decades from now. Yeah. So let, let's ask a, uh, a kind of a pre-med 101 med school uh, interview question. Yeah. Uh, in this country, we have an opt-in donation system where you go get your driver's license. They ask, do you want to opt in to be an organ donor? Other countries have switched to an opt-out with a huge increase in available donations. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Is that something 
you think we should switch to and do you think we can get there? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of patients um, just don't know about kidney donation, don't yeah. know the whole supply demand mismatch. And I feel like there's a lot of philanthropic and empathetic people who, you know, I, I think would be interested in, uh, you know, in donation. And, and we hear stories about this all the time where I have patients that found their donors through Facebook, you know, yeah. just a post that got someone in its interest. So I think there's a lot more supply out there of people that would be interested. I think it's just reaching them. And the idea of uh, kind of changing, uh, you know, to a more opt out, I think would, you know, kind of, you know, potentially um, sort of, you know, make these make these patients and 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 donors sort of more aware of the process. So yeah. I think it's an interesting thought. I don't think there'd be as much pushback as, you know, some may think. I think it would go over maybe a little better than expected. Yeah, I could All be right. wrong though. All right, <laughs> all right. Yeah, that's the platform you're running on. So yes, that's my that's my platform. <laughs> we'll do it. it. Um, for the future primary care doc listening to this, what do you want them to know about nephrology to, to help them take care of their patients and and maybe get them to you sooner or in better shape? Yeah, I think, you know, the collaboration is key. Um, and I think picking up the phone and calling with questions, um, I, I absolutely love, um, internal medicine doctors are our probably biggest referral. Um, I think there's a wide variety of, um, comfort levels for doctors. Um, I think some refer early, some refer late, but knowing, knowing you're telling the internal medicine doctor that we want to be part of the patient care. We want to collaborate with them. We want to work with them. We understand that these patients are complex and there's a lot of interdisciplinary sort of care between us. So I think use us, abuse us, uh, let us work with you. Um, and, uh, you know, involve us early on, um, because, you know, we really can, um, we can do the best. I think the earlier we're involved to kind of build those relationships with patients and kind of do what we can to kind of slow the kidney progression. Yeah. If you could go back and give your younger self some wisdom about your career now, what, what do you think that would be? Yeah. You know, I think it's really, um, I, I would do the same thing all over again. Uh, I think when it comes to physiology, I think I would learn it and learn it and learn it and just understand how important it is. Because I think it's sometimes when you're going through medical school, you get to the point of, you know, memorizing for tests, kind of get through things, but seeing what you know and what you don't know and what's important and what you maybe thought was important, but wasn't so important. I think going back, it's really understanding the nuts and bolts of physiology, understanding how things work normally, um, because you really need to have a really strong understanding of that to be able to then fix things when they're broken. Yeah. And, and get better at math. Exactly. <laughs> That's always yeah. and practice more math. Exactly. <laughs> and more, and more math. Um, yes. What do you like the most? The most about being a nephrologist? I think um, every day is different, and I really, I really do mean that. I mean, I feel like you know my my clinic tomorrow. I have a half day clinic tomorrow. Probably ten patients, and those ten patients are going to be completely different from the ten patients I had today. Different problems, different underlying medical conditions, different consults in the hospital you know, different problems with dialysis patients. Um, it's just, it's complete, going to be completely different. I mean, right when you think you're comfortable and you know everything, you find new issues and new problems and new diseases. So I just like that it's different. It's exciting. It keeps me on my toes. And, you know, I just, uh, the, the, the patients are always, always there and always appreciative. And, you know, you kind of, you know, you see the difference that you make in the lives of these patients. Um, and they really make a big difference in my life too. And I, I just like the, I just like the, the, the everyday being different, I would say. 
What do you like the least? Um, the on-call weekends. You know, it's you know you're you're still working weekends. You know, um, some days are long. Um, you know, documentation is everyone's least favorite thing, right? I mean, you have to document what you did, whether you're in the inpatients and the outpatients. So it's it's the paperwork and it's the weekends. But um, you know, I knew that going in. Um, you know, I, I I feel like I do have a good work-life balance. I have really supportive colleagues and. I think with nephrology and everything else, you know, you're able to choose the practice environment that sort of goes along with your goals, goes along with your values and your lifestyle and kind of what you're looking for. So you can make it your own. Um, not every nephrologist, it's not a one size fits all, even with private practice, um, people of different sort of lifestyles and things. But um, I found what best worked for me. Um, and I just encourage people to kind of do find the job that best works for them as well. Yeah. You said you would do it all over again, so I won't ask you that. When it comes to the future and technology, I'm a huge tech nerd. I think technology can solve a lot of our problems. How does technology help kidney patients? Yeah. Do you think in the future, yeah. where, where's, where are we on the cusp, right? Do, you, you mentioned uh, uh, xenotransplants. Um, to me, that's not technology. That's just kind of a Band-Aid. Are we close to 3D printed kidneys that are working and functioning? And where, where are we? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we're closer now than we ever were before. Um, I think both with bio-artificial kidneys and also kidney regeneration technology. So I mm -hmm. think, you know, not only you know, kind of, uh, you know, a, a blueprint for new kidneys, but also trying to regenerate, you know, kidneys that, you know, aren't quite at the levels they were before. So I think those are two big things that I think for the future technology wise, we have to look forward to. Um, I think, you know, our home dialysis patients have been completely revolutionized by, you know, iPads and tablets and things, you know, they have real time flow rates with their home dialysis. They're able to communicate with their dialysis nurses you know, if error messages are getting kind of sent to their dialysis nurses real time, we're able to see their blood pressure real time. I think that ongoing real time monitoring has come a long way. Um, I think the technology that heart failure um, centers are using to monitor, you know, basically telemedicine and heart failure follow ups and things like that. I think that for nephrology would be a big way moving forward. Patients monitoring their blood pressure, monitoring their weight, monitoring their labs, titrating their diuretics, avoiding hospitalization. I think those are a lot of the short-term technology things that we can kind of do to keep patients out of the hospital. Um, you know, nephrology is a very numbers-based field, you know, a very, you know, you're looking at numbers and um, kind of really objective data. And I think having that, um, you know, kind of in one place where we're able to see that real time and make adjustments real time is, is going to be a big kind of push moving forward. Yeah, that's exciting. Um what final words of wisdom do you have for the, the future nephrologist listening to this right now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, nephrology um, is, I think, getting more um, competitive. I think it's getting more, people getting more interested in nephrology. Um, I think in 2021, 73% of the fellowship spots filled, which was up from previous years. Um, I think, you know, giving nephrology a chance is what I would say. Um you know, because there's everything from transplant to interventional to glomerular diseases. You can do research and, you know, work for dialysis centers and pharmaceutical side of things. And it's just so, it's such a wide spectrum of different things that I think giving it a chance and um, just kind of seeing the breadth beyond 
just chronic kidney disease and dialysis. I mean, there's really a lot to nephrology. Um, and I think even if you're not interested as nephrology as a career, at least giving it enough, you know, enough respect to, to, do a, uh, to do an elective or do two electives, because even if you hate it, you're going to have to be living with it. And I think some level of understanding will go a long way, regardless of what specialty you, you know, you join, whether it's medicine versus surgical versus, you know, versus anything else. Nephrology will be the bane of your existence at one point. So, you know, giving it the respect and, you know, kind of, kind of at least, you know, delving into it a little bit. Um, I think you'll respect the kidneys more. And, uh, and I think you may even, you know, develop a passion or a love for nephrology. Yeah, you can't look away from the kidney because as soon as you look away, the other one's staring you right in the eye. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, there you have it again, Dr. Derek Larson, nephrologist specializing in renal hypertension. Hopefully this was an exciting, illuminating episode for you. If you are looking into nephrology, you should go to the American Society of Nephrology at asn-online.org. And that's ASN for American Society of Nephrology-online.org or just Google American Society of Nephrology. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. This is MedEd Media.